I am the Reverend Maria McCabe. It is such a joy. I was, I was actually saying to Sarah before the service, it's probably not a good idea that I'm in such a good mood today because I don't know what's going to happen. But I am happy, happy to be with you, happy to share in messages of inspiration and messages of what, why we want to be resilient together in community why we want to develop the muscles and the skills and the ability to cope with the, the ugly and the hard together so that we get, get to the moment of celebration. There's an end game. There's a vision of what the world that Brenna song, sang about, what that world might be and could be. Our invocation this morning comes from a poet much loved in Unitarian Universalism. In fact, some of my colleagues speak of the gospel according to Mary Oliver. That's an inside joke. This is a poem entitled, Heavy. That time I thought I could not go any closer to grief without dying, I went closer and I did not die. Surely God had a hand in this as well as friends. Still, I was bent, and my laughter, as the poet said, was nowhere to be found. Then said my friend Daniel, brave even among lions, it's not the weight you carry, but how you carry it. Books, Bricks, grief, it's all in the way you embrace it, balance it, carry when you cannot and would not even put it down. So I went practicing. Have you noticed? Have you heard the laughter that comes now and again out of my startled mouth? How I linger to admire, admire, admire the things of this world that are kind and maybe also troubled. Roses in the wind, the sea geese on the steep waves, a love to which there is no reply. Good morning. I'm Marla Posey Moss, and I would like to give to you my stewardship testimonial. As a member of the Committee on Ministry, the COM, I'm honored to work with each and every member on a shared covenant between our congregation. As we develop our covenant together, we keep our following seven principles at the forefront of how we care for ourselves, one another in, our, in this fellowship, this physical structure, and of course, our faith leader, Reverend Maria. Our first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Our second principle, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Our third principle, acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. Our fourth principle, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Our fifth principle, the right of conscience and the use of democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. Our sixth principle, 
the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Our seventh principle, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Of these seven, there are two that stand out to me the most, which grounds me in my fellowship here to UUFHC. Principle one, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Principle seven, the respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are part. These two drive me the most because they reflect how we should treat each other in the midst of accepting our differences, when we are in need of understanding, and simply when we are speechless, when there's no words that can reflect how we feel. When thinking about stewardship, it reflects how we support our congregation, our existence, and our sustainability in the community. I know many of you might not know how I got here, but it was an unforeseen journey. I actually was running for office, and as traditionally as people do when they run for office, they visit a variety of congregations. So I brought my husband and my mother with me, and it's typical if you know anything about African Americans, we tend to dress up a lot when we go to any kind of congregation. And I had a Bible with me, not knowing anything about the demographics of this fellowship, that didn't matter, because I was coming, because I wanted some votes. <laughs> That's the truth. So we came in, and I walked in. <laughs> I didn't see anyone who looked like me. <laughs> I didn't see anyone dressed up like me, and I certainly didn't see anyone with the Bible. <laughs> so... My mom, my husband, and I, we sat right in the very back, straight ahead, right in those three seats in the very back, because I felt like a little bit of a pariah. But when I saw a few people in the congregation that I actually didn't know, and I don't see them as, as much anymore, Tom, uh, not Tom, um, my gosh, I can't think of their names, but they have a business, kind of like a, a gymnastics business. Um, you know who I'm talking about? The Morrisons, yes. I. I had known them since my son was three years old, and he used to take classes with them for a couple of years. So I was happy to have seen them, because we were actually friends. And, but as I sat in the back, I was listening to the sermon that day. I said, wow, that sounds awful like what my dad would say. And I listened more, and I, I forgot about the fact that I was actually running for office, because I sat and my intention changed. It turned from trying to get votes to truly listening to the message. So I said, well, I'll come back again when this is all said and done. And I came back again, and I continued to come back, and I came back and I started talking to people about the fellowship. I was just really excited. And as the gentleman over there said, it was very welcoming. And then I joined. And then I was a member of the board. <laughs> and now I'm a member of COM. <laughs> None of these things were ever my intent <laughs> when I initially came here. So I say this to say, for those of you who are friends of the fellowship, for those of you who are members of the fellowship, we need to continue to be that light for people like me 
who don't necessarily know what to expect when they walk through that door. To be that pleasant surprise, to be that voice of reason, something with which you have grown up, you need to be able to hear that. But most of all, you need to be able to understand that we come here for the fellowship, but it is only also supported with our financial fellowship. And that is extremely important. You can't function in your own house by just taking care of the kids and cleaning the house. You have to make it run. You have to make it function. It has to be an inviting, warm place during the winter times. It has to be a place where you can invite other people into your home. And it has to be welcoming in order to function. And that is what we do here. I'm a living testament of that. I didn't grow up with any formal, organized, structured religion, but my parents did. So I'm happy to have found a place where I can relate to that in the community, to have somewhere where I can call home, a place of peace, somewhere where we can convene, somewhere that's safe, somewhere where we have freedom of thought. That's extremely important to me. And that is why I steward here. That's why I fellowship here. That's why I promote the UUFHC out in the public. Oftentimes, it's very difficult because it's a somewhat non-traditional faith background. But I put all that aside. And I stand firm and strong in my faith. And I want you all to do the same thing. I want you all to feel proud that you're here. I want you all to continue to share what the candles are sharing. I want you all to continue to bring your children here. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Because this is a beacon of light in the community. Just as it was for Walter Banks, the African-American farmer who gave this land to this fellowship. I don't think people really understand the history from where we got this land. It was given to us by an African-American man who owned this land. And we've always served as a beacon of light in the community. So let's continue to do that. Please continue to steward. And I'd be happy to talk to anyone after service regarding my love for the UUFHC. Thank you. Our reading this morning comes from a, uh, a poem some of you may be familiar with entitled The Invitation. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow. If you have been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us, cautioning us to be careful, be realistic. Remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself. If you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. If you can be faithless and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it is not pretty every day, and if you can source your life from its presence. 
I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand at the edge of the lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes. Doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done to feed the children. It doesn't interest me who you know or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It's not a casual invitation. It's actually downright scary. This morning as we begin to celebrate inspiration, begin to look for that, literally that breath, that wind, that spirit that will carry us further as a community and as a fellowship, even as a faith. Inspiration means to breathe in. I want you to ponder my invitation to you I want you to reflect, or I invite you to reflect. I invite you to reflect on why we are here together and to what extent we give one another permission to get real inside this space. So I want to share with you an experience that I had this week which is about many things, and I'm sharing it not because it's about me, but it is because what fills me with hope and fills me with inspiration. In the pouring rain on Thursday, with parking directions from Marla, thank you, and testimony in in my hand and in my heart, I traveled to Annapolis to be one of many people testifying on behalf of a bill that will actually require law enforcement in Maryland and school security officers in Maryland schools to provide rights to children, to notify parents and and, and, uh, and, uh, guardians or guardians when a child is taken into custody to to be questioned and interrogated that will make it a requirement that children understand their right to an attorney if they're in this kind of situation. Now, some of you may have heard me talk about this before. You may have read some of, some of the, uh, the, the writings that we've shared around this. So you may have heard me say that when I learned that the majority of the states in this, in this country do not have such protections, I was shocked. Many of the people we have spoken with since this effort began were likewise shocked. 
it doesn't seem possible. My testimony, such as it was, was testimony of a person, a woman of faith. A woman who is grounded firmly in our faith tradition, the principles of which you heard articulated so beautifully a few minutes ago. Our affirmation of the dignity of every human being. Our passion for equity, for justice. Our search for truth and meaning. Our understanding that we are part of the web, which means that none of us is free until all of us are free. All of those things. So I arrived, I found a parking spot, step one. Got through the metal detectors, step two, and came into a very crowded hearing room. Now, since this effort began with a group, a small group of leaders in Harford County who issued a gracious invitation to me to be a part of this effort, which began in the late spring, this movement has now grown from a committee in Harford County to a statewide initiative. In that short period of time, there are 23 sponsors for the House, the bill in the House of Delegates. I don't know how many in the Senate. Our side, there's never more, there's never just two, there are never just two sides to a story, but our, our perspective in support of this bill presented several panels of witnesses. People who came to share their witness as people of faith attorneys, community activists, legal experts, forensic psychiatrists who specialize in understanding the psychology of children and how easily a child can be persuaded to make a false confession. The panels looked like our world. All of us were there. All of our stories were there. There were women, there were men. I'm pretty sure there were people who identify with different gender identities, but since that wasn't part of what we were supposed to say, I don't know. But we represented this tapestry of stories and experiences to say, this is not right. Dear legislators, this is not right. And I thought about how six months ago, this coalition, this statewide, even nationwide, this, this statewide effort didn't exist and how it exists now. And you are part of it. You are part of it. And then the panels who are opposed to this legislation came up. And they looked very different than our panels. There was only one gender represented and only one race 
And the story, the very first story that was told was a story that conjured up that horrible, brutal image of the dangerous, large, six-foot-two child who's really not a child, who must be feared. You know that trope, right? It's the, you know, all Mexicans are rapists trope. It's the he came at me and I felt in danger of my life. Now, I don't, I'm not going to stand here and pretend to you that I accept equally both sides of this story. I don't. But what was so painful to me was to witness the fact of a single story in opposition to a tapestry of stories. I do not judge those who propose the single story. I really don't. But I know, dear ones, we know, a single story is not the truth. It's just not. You see, your story, or your story, or your story, or yours, are not likely to be the same as mine. Doesn't mean I hold the truth, or you, or you, or you. We make the truth together. And as hard as it was to sit and listen to that dangerous trope, that trope that has perpetuated so much violence. I left that I left the legislature feeling filled with hope. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Filled with hope. In six months, this turnip seed of an idea has grown into a movement. Are you hearing me? A movement. That doesn't mean that all of you have to agree. I'm just telling you, we are you right now. We are in a community that encompasses people from all over the state listening to one another. And why are we banding together? Because we all believe that children deserve human rights, civil rights, and legal rights. Yes? Anybody? I know you wouldn't dare to raise your hand if you disagreed. <laughs> that was a mean rhetorical question. <laughs> when I invite you to join me, or to ask you to join me in the center of fire, I'm not asking you to burn. I'm asking you to be willing to be part of a tapestry. Are you hearing me? Be willing to be part of a tapestry. We all need to be willing to say, I don't know. 
I don't know if this legislation will pass this year. I should have lit a candle for it. Consider it lit. (laughs) Because last year, 3,000 children were arrested in Maryland schools. And if it doesn't pass this year, the arrests are still possible, you know, they're going to happen. And we won't know that those children are receiving the protections they need. So, but if it doesn't pass, will we give up? You tell me. God bless you all. Amen. Ashe. And blessed be.